Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. Uh, here we are still in these uh, bizarre times, but uh, thank the Lord for technology that we can continue uh, these, these Bible studies. Um, I know and I do miss all the guys that can normally be in the room, uh, but at least we're able to, to go out to, to all of you and even the guys that are normally in the room and have access to this. You know, also, I want to mention that uh, with themanchurch.com. You know, themanchurch.com is available and we acknowledge with themanchurch.com uh, that uh, you know our men's discipleship strategy involves men getting together four times a year in, in large gatherings, and then every week in small group gatherings. And both of those things are you know uh, forbidden now. And we want to be good citizens. However, this is not the time uh, to abandon your small group. This is not the time if you represent a church um, to to abandon. Uh, the discipleship strategy for men's ministry, that those needs are still there. Well, at themanchurch.com, we have somebody standing by and some guys, a team that will help you. But our pursuit uh, curriculum, which is a 40-week curriculum broken down into eight different uh, subjects for five weeks on each subject, uh, I teach uh, a 12- to 15-minute video. Uh, then you're provided a link that has the study guides every week uh, that uh, the individual men can do even during quarantine. They can watch the video themselves. They can look at the study guide themselves, uh, and then if you still want to meet one time a week, uh, we can you know teach you how to do that. You can do that through Zoom. You can do it through Skype. You can you can do a conference call if you want to, and then all the men can still have a you know a, a get together virtually uh, every week, and then they can talk about the video and talk about the study guides, and all that can be sent to everyone remotely. So please don't let. Uh, the, you know, I know in men's ministry we're accustomed to gatherings and and face to face, and we certainly hope to get back to that. Uh, but always at the meat of our discipleship strategy has been addressing the disease and the disease that men are either lost or they're spiritual infants who need to be discipled to spiritual maturity. And those things can continue through the system and the technology available today. And if you would like for us to help you to implement that, start a group even right now during this time, and then continue it, uh, just go to themanchurch.com. We'll be happy to help you any way that we can. All right, so let's open up in a word of prayer. And I'm going to tell you something really cool that, that God has, has done with our study of the Gospel of John. And then we're going to finish chapter 16 today and then get all of chapter 17. Uh, and, and so I want to go ahead and jump right into that, okay? Uh, Lord, thank you for this time. We certainly understand. We certainly understand, Lord, um, that, uh, that you are still sovereign. You, you are still in the place where you were. Uh, back on March 1, March 1, we were celebrating, a, you know, one of the strongest economies in the history of our country, and, and we just thought we, we were unstoppable. And, and here we are at the first day, a month later of April, and everything has, has turned upside down. The economy is, is on, on hold. It's not moving at all. People are uncertain about jobs. People are uncertain about their life. Uh, people are uncertain about their finances. And, Lord, I pray today... Uh, that as, as you always have intended through pain and suffering, that we'll actually turn our faces to you and we'll listen to what you have to say and the hope that is found in your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this is, this is really interesting. First of all, uh, I do want to address this whole thing of when are we going to return to normal. Can we go ahead and say right now, I hope we never return to normal. Never. Because undoubtedly, the way we were doing everything in our life, hey, including church, 
Hey, God's taking the way we do church, and he's shaking it up, hasn't he? All these traditions and all these things. When was the last time you actually held a bulletin? I bet some of you are breaking out in hives. Where's the bulletin? Uh, he's taking all these things we depend on, all these things that become ritual and tradition, and he's shaking us up. I hope that nothing in our life ever returns to the normal that it was before, because undoubtedly that normal was not the best thing for us because God's taking it away. You know, remember 9-11, everybody packed into the churches, you couldn't find a seat, and then everybody just kind of, and there was a remnant that was taken out of that, but then everybody just kind of drifted on back to their lives. Well, God has our attention again, and he's addressing all the things that we call normal, including the way we worship, and he's shaking those things up. So may we learn it, and may we never return to the way we did things before. I hope we don't. So let's talk about today. So getting into the finishing chapter 16 is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible uh, as far as hope is concerned, and it is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. And then we're going to get into 17, where Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, prays for you. Prays for you. Uh, if you are part of the, of the church age and you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus Christ has documented a prayer that he prayed for you and he prayed for me and all who have chosen to follow him. And it is powerful. So anyway, but here, here's something I, I want you to look at. So when we started this back in August and we decided on the Wednesday Bible study that we would do a Wednesday Bible study that would simply start at chapter 1, verse 1 of the Gospel of John and we would walk through it until it was finished. We didn't know how long that was going to be. Uh, we, didn't know, we, we didn't know what we would cover each week. We would just take the hour that God affords us for us to be in the Gospel of John. Sometimes we would do a, a little piece of a chapter. Sometimes we would do an entire chapter. Sometimes we would do half a chapter. So we really, and, and those of you that know me well enough, uh, know that I didn't plan this out with anything other than let's do the Gospel of John until we're done with it. If you go back to the early videos and the early audio archives, you will hear me say, we're going to do the Gospel of John until we're finished. That was my big detailed uh, uh, game plan. Well, I'm sitting on the deck getting ready for what we're going to teach today with my wife in quarantine at home, and um, we start looking and we realize that next week, of course, next week is Passion Week. Next week is when we remember Jesus going to the cross and, and, and dying in our place. Next week, when we talk about uh, Jesus and the resurrection uh, on the Lord's Day, we're going to finish chapter 17 today and chapter 18, Jesus being arrested, betrayed, and crucified, will be next week, the week of, of our remembrance of that, the Passion Week. Now, I could not have planned that, nor did I plan that, and I think that's God confirming once again that we're walking through this the way he intends us to walk through it. We'll talk about the crucifixion next week on the week that we remember the crucifixion, and then we'll talk about the resurrection uh, the Wednesday after the resurrection. <laughs> it's unbelievable. That was not planned, and it has fallen exactly that way. All right, so let's jump into to the, the we're going to finish chapter 16, starting in verse 25 in the Gospel of John. And here is Jesus. Now, remember, we're moving to the hour was, was to come, to the hour is now at hand, and he is finishing what he wants to say to his disciples, and then he's going to pray for them. And, and this is powerful today. So in 25, he said, I, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. 
The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. So what is Jesus talking about here? Some people confuse this, and I know I did, that this is Jesus saying, I'm not going to talk about parables anymore, and that's not what he's talking about. Uh, What he's saying, he's not talking about that in a, a, a sense of speaking plainly. What he's talking about is, again, he's looking forward This is more of that, it's good that I go. He's looking forward to the clarity that we will have beyond the resurrection. As you're going to find out today, remember the disciples before Pentecost and before the resurrection, they do not understand the concept of him going to the cross, dying, and then his resurrection coming on the Lord's day. They don't get that. They don't understand that. And so what Jesus is saying is, I've tried to speak to you about how to understand this. You're not understanding it, but the hour is coming post-resurrection when all this clarity will be made to you. You you will have a clear understanding of the gospel, and that hour is coming. It has nothing to do with, I, I, talk, I talk in parables here, and now I'm not going to talk in parables anymore, because he's already covered that and talked about that, and this is not what he's talking about here. So let's look at, at 26 and 27. Again, it's the clarity when the gospel is complete. So let's look at 26 and 27. So here's what Jesus says next. In that day, you will ask in my name, And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So what is Jesus talking about here? This is really beautiful. This is saying, again, on the clarity. He's saying, let me tell you what I mean by the clarity that is coming. He says, "I, I want you to know that though they are asking the Father, uh, in Jesus' name, this doesn't mean that he's going to be distant from them. It doesn't mean that there's some un, there, there's something but it stands between them uh, and and the Father. And and now Jesus is actually going to be, be you know make things more distant. It, it, it's actually the opposite. What he's trying to say is um, he he is going to to you know take away the restrictions of the access to the Father, like we talked about last week. And he's finally going to give us full access to the Father. Uh, through the Son, because the Father sent the Son, and and He does love us. Jesus loved the Father and obeyed the Father. We then love the Son and obey the Son. If you love me, you obey me. Now the circle of God loving us and now the Father loving us um, because we love the Son, now that circle is complete. Don't forget Matthew 7 when, when Jesus says, only those that do the will of my Father will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And what is one of the things we know is the will of the Father? There's a, there's a number of things. One of them is that we love his son. So what's happened is Jesus says, here's going to be the completion after the resurrection. And when I go back to the glory that he talked about last week, here's what's going to happen. We now will get in the perfect circle of love of, of, of God in his fullness, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus was here to do the, the will of his father. He loved the father. The father loved the son. We loved the son. And now our love for the son gives us the true love of the father. And now the circle of full access to our triune God, God is complete. And, and us loving him and then showing our love for him uh, in the fruitfulness and obedience that, that comes from that, all that's about to be completed. It's, 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 it's really, really good news. So now we go to, to, to 28. And really, verse 28 is the gospel. Verse 28 is the gospel. Jesus is explaining, in a nutshell, the entire fourth gospel. Jesus is going to take one verse and say, here's the gospel of John. Okay, here's the gospel in 28. 
I came from the Father, I have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world, and I'm going to the Father. I, I came to the world, I came from the Father, I came to the world because the Father so loved the world that He sent His only Son. I, I, I was with the Father, I came from the Father, I've done what the Father sent me to do, and that was to save the world uh, through the crucifixion and the resurrection. I now return to the Father. And then, and, then, and then now the presence of the full triune God comes to you in the third person, the Holy Spirit. That, that, that's verse 28. Well, now the disciples are going to make a mess of this because remember, this is not the standard for us because this is before Pentecost. This is not the standard. So, so, so here, here come the disciples. They don't do this after Pentecost. But now they say, his disciples said, oh, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. And then they go on in 30. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. By the way, that's all wrong. Jesus is not talking like he's going to be speaking plainly now. That's not what he said at all. He said, you will, I will be speaking plainly to you. The hour is coming when I will speak plainly to you. Not the hour is, uh, not right now. You're not seeing it yet because you don't understand at all the crucifixion and you don't understand at all the resurrection. And when the resurrection happens, then this plain talk will start because you remember that I kept trying to tell you that's what I was about to do. So no, no, that I'm you don't have the clarity now. See, this is what happens so, so many times, and, and I have certainly been guilty of it, but the disciples are showing a way not to be. Okay, and what they're saying is they're pretending to know something they don't know. They're pretending, you know, and I got to tell you how many times in my life that and I'm embarrassed of it, that I walked around pontificating about a faith that I didn't know anything about. I, I was I was I had hardly any understanding of Scripture. I didn't have any understanding about the transformation provided to me in Jesus. I understood the basic concepts of the gospel, and that's great, but as we've said many times, the demons believe all that themselves. But I was, a lot of my life, I was running my mouth about, about God when I didn't know anything about Him, but I was pretending to. I was, pretend, I was delusional about what I knew about God. And the disciples are delusional about what Jesus is talking about. Uh, this is not what he just said. And uh, they're saying, well, we saw you baffle your critics, and we know nobody can, can beat you, and, and you, know, you, you had more wisdom than they did. And, and, but they don't understand the gospel because they don't understand the cross, and they don't understand the resurrection. And I'm going to tell you something. That's one of the biggest problems with cultural Christianity is we've got, and I needed to be treated this way, we need to realize you can't disciple a cultural Christian because you can't disciple anyone that's still lost. A cultural Christian doesn't understand the gospel. And I think too many times in the Western church, we move into this mass of cultural Christians trying to disciple them, and we stop presenting the gospel to them clearly when the biggest problem they have, and the reason why we don't see any fruitfulness, and the reason why we don't see any obedience, is really no more complicated, is they're just lost. They've never understood the gospel, and the disciples don't understand it here. And what do they most not understand about the gospel? Repentance. Sin. You, you have to understand that. And right now, the disciples obviously don't. So this response is worthy of rebuke. It's worthy of rebuke. Look at, look at um, 31. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Really? I mean, Jesus is giving a holy really here. So, so you think you've got this? 
and he knows they don't. Uh, 32, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone for the father is with me. He said, oh, so you believe. So you're all in now. He said, that's not what's about to happen. I'm going to say what's about to come. The hour is going to come when y'all all scatter and leave me alone, you think. But then he says, but really, it's impossible for me to be left alone because the Father never abandons me. But you guys are going to. So it's about to be proven that you don't understand what about the gospel and you don't understand this. And I could say this. I think in the times that we're living in right now, this pandemic, what this pandemic is doing, just like we talked about last week with 1 Peter chapter 1, 6, and 7, what this pandemic, if you watch the way people who claim to be with Christ and they claim to be redeemed, they claim to be a disciple of Jesus, uh, maybe they've never made that claim, but you know, you're seeing a lot of people that Jesus right now would say, let me tell you when everybody's going to see that you really don't believe what you claim to believe. When everything gets turned upside down. You're going to scatter and you're going to flee from me and you're going to go cling to the things that are really your gods. I and mean, we got people losing their mind because sports has been canceled. They, they can't even imagine it. Uh, how about this? You may die of this virus and you're worried about it. you don't have sports to watch on TV. What are we supposed to do with ourselves? How about getting the word of God and start figuring out all the things that you need to know about the most important thing? And that's the gospel. And maybe you can stop all this inch deep, mile wide, big man upstairs garbage. And maybe your life's being turned upside down. So you'll actually run to God. and You actually uh, finally submit to his authority and you'll begin to be transformed into the person that you should have been. And the reason why you're not transformed is because you've never truly experienced the gospel, you've never truly experienced the power of God. You may have an inch deep, mile wide knowledge of God, and you go around talking about something you really don't know anything about. Maybe that's what this is all about. And Jesus is telling these disciples that's what's going to happen. So if, if, if we want to know what, you know, if God looks down on us and says, let's find out what they really believe, let's find out what they really know, you know what he'll do? Turn our life upside down. And then you'll see. And then you'll say, Jesus says this all the time. If you want to know who's with me and, who, and who's not, just watch them. Sooner or later, you'll see. And usually when you squeeze somebody, you squeeze them, who they really are is what comes out. Right? And, uh, and so just like we talked about last week, how, how are we doing on that? Would Jesus say to us, we'd be saying, hey, before this whole thing hit, hey, I'm all in. And then all this is hit. And Jesus looks and says, so, so do you really believe? It doesn't look like it. But the beautiful thing about Jesus, and this is what we love, is that he has the rebuke, but then he turns around and he gives them encouragement. Don't you, aren't you glad that we serve a gracious God? We shouldn't be grace abusers, but man, aren't we thankful for his grace? So he gives them this rebuke, just like we all just went through. And then he turns around and he offers them encouragement. And, 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 and so let's take the encouragement that he's offering us today too. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible of all time. Uh, you know, and, and, as a lot of you know, uh, in 2008, uh, and it's not the only you know, calamity that, that my family's ever experienced, but uh, it is the biggest calamity that I've had to face so far, uh, and that is the death of my youngest son. And I was actually preaching uh, when he drowned in our pool. And when I was preaching... I had to do six different messages, I mean, same message six times. 
And the verse that I was preaching at the time is the verse we're going to next, and that's John 16:33. I literally preached this verse to these young people because it was a youth event. And I was ending each session with John 16, 33. And see, a lot like the disciples, uh, if, if Jesus would have asked me, do you understand what I'm saying in John 16, 33? You know what I would have said? Absolutely, I do. And you know, he would have said, do you? Because something's about to happen, and you're going to cling to it and understand it in a way that you really don't. You're really talking about it, but you haven't suffered the way you're about to, and you're really going to get it then. And keep in mind, Jesus knows what the disciples are about to have to go through. Like we've already said, he's already said that all this persecution against him is now going to be poured out on the disciples. And he says, you know what, you're going to scatter here in just a minute. But we're going to get to the other side of this. And here's what he said. And it is a beautiful, beautiful verse. And I, I cling to it um, almost every day. Almost every day I cling to this verse. Because it's a verse with so much hope. And here's what Jesus said after rebuking them. I have said these things to you, meaning everything they've learned up to this point. I've said these things to you that in me, in the world, no. In the things of the world, no. In your vocation, no. In your money that's drying up right now, no. In your football team, no. In your baseball team, your sports team, no. In your hobbies, no. In your spouse, no. In your children, no. I may have I have said these things to you that you that in me, that in me, Jesus, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Now let's stop there for a minute. So Jesus in this world, so I may or may not have tribulation. That's not what he said. I know there's a lot of false theology out there. Be careful of it. This verse alone destroys the health, wealth, and prosperity, name it, claim it, uh, theology. It just destroys it. Because you know what Jesus just said? I've taught you all this so that in me you may have peace because in this world you will have tribulation. It doesn't say we might, does it? We will. Anybody know that now? Because last time I checked, we all in this one. You will have tribulation, not you might. So that's the reason why I put people who understand the Bible and, 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 have, and are walking with Jesus, those people are not shocked by tribulation because they've already been, already been told by Jesus that it will come in this world because this world is, is fallen. You know, another thing that we're being transformed on right now, hey, it, just learn it this time. Stop trying to make heaven on earth. This is a vapor. Your lake house isn't going with you. Your automobiles, they aren't going with you. They're not going to mean anything. Your bank account doesn't mean anything right now. It, 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 hey, all this money you got, it can be gone like that. Hey, we may get to the point where the, the currency you hold in your hand, it don't mean anything. Okay? So it's going to go away. So, that, so, we, so what Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, and then we love this. But take heart. That means always remember. Always have joy in your heart. Why, Jesus? And then he answers it. Because I've overcome the world. Oh, so the world is the problem. That's right. It's fallen. That's correct. Why? Because of sin. So you've overcome sin? Yes. 
So you've really defeated my biggest problem. That's correct. So on my worst day, I need to remember that if I have repented of my sin and I have submitted to your authority and I've confessed you as my Lord and I belong to you and I then connect myself to the true vine, that no matter what happens, I'll be at peace because I still have you. That's right. And then you're going to resolve this fallen creation? Correct. And I'm not going to die forever? You're not. Your body, even if it dies during this pandemic, if you belong to me, yet so you shall live. I've overcome the world. I say this so in me you will have peace. And peace is what you want, isn't it? I mean, if I were to ask you really, honestly, what do you really want? And you might answer, I wish I could have this paid off. I wish this, just stop all that. That's all garbage. You know that's not true. If you were being honest and I asked you what you really wanted, what you really wanted, you'd say, I want peace. Rick, can you tell me that everything's going to be all right? I can't, but I promise you, if you belong to Jesus, he can. And I'm going to tell you, my time of the worst calamity, sitting there not knowing what's going to happen next. Lord, why have you allowed me to go through this? One of the things that I learned is to make me weak. Yeah, to, to, to have me stop depending on the things that I couldn't hold on to. So, so Jesus, I want to have all my kids, and I want to have all the things, and I like all this, and now one of my kids has died an earthly death at two and a half? That's right. What are you trying to teach me? I'm trying to teach you to depend on me. I'm, I'm trying to get you so weak that you need me to breathe. Why would you do that to me, Lord? So you would be so weak that I would finally be strong in your life. You would become so dependent on me that you'd finally be changed by it because you would stop serving your flesh and you would start leaning on me because when you're weak, that's when you'll finally be strong. That, that, that's what I've learned th from calamity and that's when I cling to this verse, that because of what Jesus Christ has done, I can always take heart. Rick, how can you have joy over what you just described? Because I know that this is not the way things are always going to be. I will have a joyous reunion with my Lord and Savior. And I just want to hear him say, well done. Rick, I thought you said that uh, you sure you don't want to go to heaven to see your little boy and all those you know? Sure, that, that, that's great. But I love Bronner. And I always love him. But as my wife has said in her book and us going through this, there was a time when we thought, oh, the reason why we have a son, we have a son in heaven now, so that makes us more heaven-focused. That's not true. It's, cert it's certainly true that he's there, but that's not what makes us heaven-focused. You know what our reward will be? Jesus. And then Jesus will walk us over to our son. But our reward in heaven is not anything in this world. It's Jesus. And in that, we should always be at peace. So then, the next thing, I mean, if you want to just get fired up right now in, in chapter 17, and we'll go through this. So now Jesus, when he had spoken these words, look at 17.1, he lifted his eyes to heaven, and he begins to pray. Did you know that the Lord of lords and the King of kings prays for you? 
This is a prayer before Jesus went to the cross that he prayed for you and that he prayed for me. He prayed for all those who have said, I will follow Jesus. I will repent of my sin. I will turn a 180 from my sin and I will turn to Jesus. And thank you for paying the penalty. Forgive me of my sins. I know that you love me. Now you teach me to love you. Let me connect to the, to, to the true vine. And he says, for those of you who belong to me, I'm praying to the Father for you. So what's the first thing he prays for? So if you look at one through five, Jesus prays for his glorification. Listen to this. Father, the hour has come. Hour's not, the hour's not, it, it's not out in the future anymore. The hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give him eternal life to all whom, whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Oh, yes. The Father and the Son have had a relationship long before we knew about it. Jesus said, Father, I've done what you asked me to do. Glorify me as I go to pay this price you sent me to pay. And then when this is over, bring me back into your presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. Before the world existed. The hour has come. And he says to the Father, accomplish your redemption plan. Oh, I'm glad he prayed for that. The next thing in verses uh, 6 through 19, Jesus prays for you. If you're his disciple, he then prays for these disciples that are there, but that means he begins to pray for all the disciples. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and that they have believed you sent me. I'm praying for them. Think about that. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, let, let's, let's clarify some of the things in there that, that you got to be careful of that will get a little tricky. So first of all, in verse 9, and I know that's the first one when I... You know, it's obvious that he's praying for the disciples and he's talking about, I taught them everything you told me to teach them. And, you know, you gave me what to give them. I've given it to them. But then we get to nine. And I know a lot of times you kind of know, what did he say? He says in nine, I'm praying for them. I mean, he's praying for the church. He's praying for these disciples. And he says, right now, I'm not praying for the world. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, this doesn't mean that all of a sudden Jesus is saying to the Father, let's not care about the world right now because we know that for God so loved the people of the world that he sent his own son. So God's on record of his love of the people of the world. You know, that we've always said this. The question isn't whether God loves you or not or loves me or not. The real question is, do we love him? That's the one that's kind of up, up in the air. Now, as long as we're unredeemed, he can't, he can't approve of us. He can love us, but he can't approve of us. 
And so what Jesus is saying here at this particular time, in this particular prayer, I'm not going to focus it on the people of the world. I mean, that's understood because I'm about to go to the cross. I'm making sure that this prayer is specifically, I mean, I'm specifically focusing this prayer on those who you now will use, Lord, to reach the world. So, so really, it, it's not that I'm abandoning the world because, you know, if I was abandoning the world, then I wouldn't be praying for them because you're going to use them to go out and reach the world. I'm going to go to the cross and die for the world. I'm going to come out of the, the, the grave and I'm going to defeat eternal death for the world. I'm going to give them the assignments and then I'm going to send back to you the glory I had before of the creation of the world. I'm going back to my proper place. So then I'm praying for those that you will now take the assignment from me and give it to them so then they will go out and reach the world. It's just being specific in his prayer. I, right now i got to pray for the people that you're going to send. He's praying for you and he's praying for me. Because he was praying for them, and we are their lineage as the current followers of Jesus. I hope that's what we are. So let's continue. So then he goes on in this prayer for the disciples, and he says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Meaning he's going to the Father, but they're still left behind the world. We're still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. And, um, and so as he begins to, to roll through all of this, um, I, I, want, I want you to, t to look up to, up to uh, 16, and then we'll do 17 through 19. has a little bit of a different message. But up to 16, we'll start with they... Um, they that you kept, that you keep them from the evil one. He's obviously talking about Satan. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. So look back at 12 for just a minute, because I know this is another place where people talk. When Jesus says, all of them you've given me, I have kept, except for the one who's the son of destruction. That's obviously talking about Judas Iscariot. But Jesus goes on to say, this doesn't mean that I couldn't pull something off. Because he goes on to say, you and I knew what Judas was going to do. We knew that he was not one of us. We knew that he was a false, uh, you know, a false follower of, 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 of mine, a false disciple. And, uh, you know, we can get into the whole thing we talked about back when this happened, about Judas making a choice to take the bread and all this. The bottom line is God is sovereign, and he's saying, I did lose the one that we knew we were going to lose anyway. That's really what he's saying. And, um, and, and you know that you see in Scripture that once um, uh, Satan had already entered into Judas and he'd already decided what he was going to do, and then you see throughout some of the other Gospels, the comment about Judas, the son of destruction, is that because he betrayed Jesus, it was better that, it, that he may, would have never been born. So, you know, the different discussions about what really happens to Judas in eternity, um, I don't see a very positive, hopeful message for Judas uh, but uh, Jesus is making the point that
that his portrayal was foreseen, so it was not a failure on the part of Jesus. And then I love when he goes into 14, because I think we need to remember this too. In 14, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Now, you talk about prophetic. So I gave them your word. What have we been given? The word of God. What happens when you use it? You know, the word of God is being deemed, as you and I live in this modern time, as hate speech. Hate speech. Did you see the story on who's now being blamed for the pandemic? Evangelical Christians. Now, I don't know how in the world we're getting blamed for the pandemic, but you can find the New York Times article yourself, and it's saying that because evangelicals you know, uh, deny science, and evangelicals have a, a biblical worldview that somehow we're always talking about this faith of God and God's sovereignty and all this lackadaisical, and some of the people, which they shouldn't be doing, are meeting anyway, and of course you can only think of a handful of people who are doing that. The overwhelming majority of churches are not gathering together and being good citizens and finding ways to continue to stay in the Word. But we, we, were, we were blamed by the New York Times. If you're an evangelical Christian, guess what? You're not the solution. There was a time in this country where, where the, the Christian faith was considered what made this country great, the foundational Christian principles. You are now living at a time, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not the answer to our country's problem. You're the reason for our country's problem. And we're hated which I celebrate it because that means this is exactly what Jesus said. And this means it may be a little, hey, a little persecution might do us some good. And, and, and you know, so, so be ready to talk about what we believe and why we believe it. What's so sad is when these people run up with a microphone and talk to someone who claims uh, to be a follower of Jesus or a member of the church, and then they don't have any idea what they're talking about. You know, I, I, that hurts me to see that. And we can't be found in that place. So here's Jesus being very prophetic. Now let's look about, talk about 17 through 19 because we've talked about this quite a bit for the last four years in this Bible study. Look what Jesus prays next in 17 through 19. Jesus prays that his disciples might be sanctified. Ah, yes, sanctified. What, is, what does sanctified mean? To be set apart, to be <gasps> holy. So there's a call to holiness before Jesus even gets to the cross? Yes. He's praying for this. Listen to what he says when he prays about us being sanctified to the Father. Sanctify them. <laughs> he didn't beat around the bush, did he? Father, sanctify them. Set them apart from the world. They're in the world, but they're not of the world. Sanctify them. Make them holy. Do you think that Jesus could pray a prayer about you that the Father wouldn't do? Have you been sanctified? Have you been set apart? Do you see? Let's think about it right now. We're in all this time of people sitting around with all this time on their hand. What are you binging? Tiger King? Is that what you're watching? Uh, I heard about it, thought it might be interesting, and got some friends that are watching it. But all I hear is that it, it's filled with, uh, with sexual immorality. Uh, it's filled with incredibly foul language. Uh, and people with all this time on their hands, what, what are you binging? What are you filling your mind with? What are your eyes seeing? So has God given you and me all this free time and we're filling it with garbage? What about filling it with what this prayer is about? What about becoming sanctified? What about using this time to be on your face in prayer? What about using this time to be fulfilled and, and, and watching things that glorify God the Father? What about filling yourself with, with you know, 
all the different Bible studies are out there. What about working through the Word of God? What about taking some commentary? What are you filling your time with that God has given you? Would you say it would be things that are holy? Because as we've said in this study many times, what we fill ourselves with matters, and it matters greatly. I've seen it in my own life. When, when, when I take the step in the wrong direction and I start letting my eyes uh, see something or my ears hear something uh, that I know is not holy and it is not part of my sanctification, I can feel my flesh wake up and go, oh, so you're feeding me again. <laughs> I, I'm gaining a little strength over here. Remember this. Don't you ever forget it. If you don't think these things you're watching and you don't think these things you listen to, if you don't think they matter, people pay $5 million for 30 seconds of your time on the Super Bowl. 30 seconds. They'll give $5 million. Why? Because they know it matters. So Jesus says here, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. You know what Jesus said? I'm going to, to do what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it that will enable them to be holy. Father, sanctify them. Make them holy. Set them apart. Have you been made holy? I mean, can you look at your life and say, you know what? I see the holiness that Jesus is talking about. Here's what we got to understand. Holy is a characteristic of God. What, what did the angels say about God the Father? Holy, holy, holy. Therefore, people and things that are reserved for him are also called holy. The Father sanctified his Son. As Jesus prays, he said, the way you've sanctified me, sanctify them. There's that standard again. Why do we keep lowering the standard? Because I guess it treats sin like it's no big deal. A holy roller, holier than thou. We don't like the word holy, do we? I'll tell you why we don't like it. It is incredibly convicting. And it's a monumental standard. Yes, it is. And is it a standard that you and I can, can achieve with our wonderful self-control and our, and our self-righteous attitudes about our great code of conduct? No. To be sanctified is just to cling to Jesus, to be connected to the true vine, to abide in the holiness that is perfection. How do I become holy? By abiding in Jesus' holiness. What, 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 is, what is this comforter he's sending us? What, what's another name for him? Holy Spirit. So God has sent his holiness to us to empower us to receive his holiness, and may it be washed over us. No, we're not holy, but he makes us holy. And do you see the evidence of not a code of conduct, not, that you don't, not evidence of your great self-control, would I look into your life and would you look into mine and see an evidence of not the holiness of Rick, but the holiness of God? Jesus prayed for it. Jesus prays for those who will believe next in verses 20 through 23. So he's prayed for that he should be glorified. He's prayed for these specific disciples who will now carry this out to the world. He's prayed that they be sanctified and they be set apart. And now he begins to pray for those that will believe as the, these disciples and his church goes out. He's praying for the believers of the future. Listen to this. I do not ask for these only, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. He said, I'm not just praying for these specific disciples. I'm going to pray for all those that they're going to reach. That's you and me. Jesus Christ is praying for you and praying for me. You think the pandemic has caught Jesus off guard? He says, I pray for those who are going to believe through the obedience of my disciples, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He continues, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays for the new believers to be brought into perfect unity, just as he and the Father. You know, he's saying, the way you and I are one, I pray that my church be one, and I pray as we add the future believers and the future followers and the future uh, uh, those that will come to believe and will repent and be redeemed, I pray that my church will be woven together in perfect unity the way you and I are in perfect unity. I am in you and you are in me, and may they be in us. Do you see that? The perfect unity of the church? <laughs> How sad. You see it from time to time, but all this denominational stuff and all these secondary things that we care so much about. Could, could we start maybe having some unity in the things that we all believe? as opposed to all these secondary issues that don't really mean anything. And, and, and that, that the way that you and I, I'm in you, you're in me, may they be in us. I mean, you even see things about our triune God. You see denominations that seem to be really all into the reverence of the Father, which is great. You see denominations that it's all about Jesus. You don't hear much about the Holy Spirit. You, don't hear, you hear a little bit about the Father. Then you got denominations that think the Holy Spirit is all that matters, and you hear very little about the Son and very little about the Father. But you know what Jesus said about us? That we should be in the triune God the way they are one. We should be one in them and in Him. Really, there's not any of uh, the characteristics of God that are to be ignored. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're, they're perfectly one. And then our worship should also be perfectly one. We should be balancing, understanding the role of the Father, the role of the Son, and the role of the Holy Spirit. None of it should be ignored. And none of it should be made more important than the other because they're perfectly one. And we should be under the authority of a triune God that is in one person, not treating it like it's three different people because they're in perfect unity. And we should be as well. And that's what Jesus prayed so the next thing that Jesus prayed, and, and we'll get ready to close, is, is verse 24 through 26, and that'll end chapter 17. Jesus prays that all believers be perfected, and, uh, and why should we be perfected? So that the world will see Jesus' glory in us. He prays for the original followers, but also for those who will believe. And, and listen to what he says here. The next thing he says in 24 through 26, to wrap it up, Father... I desire that they also 
whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you that have sent me. Listen to 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I also in them. Jesus prays that he will be returned to his original glory, the splendor, frankly, that uh, we'd only seen glimpses of. I mean, when he lowered himself to be a human being and he walked, only glimpses of his glory, maybe through, mainly through the signs did we see. But he said, Father, take me back to my full splendor that I had before the foundation of the world. And now I want those that will now be, you know, be saved by me and now will be following me and now become part of me. I pray that my church will go out and they will represent that full splendor that is me. He, he, he wants the whole glory that he had before he was ever sent here, sent here to be returned. Jesus has made the Father known, and he says, and I want my church to continue to make you known, to make you known in your fullness who you are. And, and I love this, that, that God, you know what he's saying is? That God may forever in his fullness Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in His full splendor, in His full glory, that that will always be in the midst of His church. And then you think about Laodicea. You know, some, some people think, and Sherry and I talked about this, that represents the, the modern age of the, of the church. You know what you see there? You see Jesus knocking. Some people use that as a gospel message, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that, but it's not what... John is seeing in the Revelation. He's seeing a church that is delusional about themselves. And Jesus is knocking at the door of his church because he's not in there. And he's saying, who will get up and let me in? Where is God's midst in the middle of the church in all of its splendor and all of its glory? That's not for me to judge, but you can certainly tell whether it is or it isn't. Because it's not mild. <laughs> God's full glory will be obvious. So if it's not obvious, it's probably not there. And we should examine why that is. Maybe because we've made the mistake of continuing to portray a Jesus that doesn't exist anymore. We love the baby in the manger. And we should remember the baby in the manger. But we should be living for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who's returned to his original glory and be preparing for him to return. We love the lowly servant, beaten and pummeled as he goes to the cross. Lowly, lowly Jesus. That doesn't exist anymore. We're thankful for that. But our worship now is when he has returned to his splendor, and to his glory. Because that's the Jesus that's coming back for his church. And Jesus is praying that his followers will not just be known by God's love, but will also be known by how God has trans.
transformed them. That's what he's praying. He's not praying that his church will refer to God as the big man upstairs. It's not what he's praying. He's not saying that, that, that my church will then be grace abusers and will take my Father's grace and will abuse it and act like sanctification and holiness is no big deal and constantly live their lives in perpetual, deliberate sin, saying, that's okay, God still loves me. No, he said, what I really want the church to be, Father, is I want them to be in our glory to the fullest and not just represent your love, but represent your, represent your transforming power. Father, I'm praying that the church would look nothing like the world. He didn't say, I hope one day my church will be a, a spiritual social country club that, that frets and worries about whether the members are happy or not. He didn't say that. He said, I hope the church will be so full of your, your glory that you'll be so in the midst of your church and that your splendor and your original glory before you lowered yourself and came to this earth, that that current state of glory would be so overwhelming that people who were not sanctified will have a hard time being in the midst of it. Not that the church is so sinful uh, that, it, that, the, that the, the, the sinful world is comfortable just saying, hey, you know what? I, I, I came in, I went forward, I moved a letter, I got baptized, I become a member of this, I don't do anything, I live just like the world, and I'm just as much part of this church body as anybody else. I will tell you this, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when God's present presence comes upon you. I'm not saying that you'll never make a mistake again. I'm not saying that I never make a mistake again. I'm not saying that I do everything perfectly, and I'm not saying that I never struggle and I never have sin. But let me tell you what I can tell you once and for all with zero hesitation is that when I usher myself into the presence of a holy God, if I, if I am in sin, I'm not comfortable with it. You'll never be comfortable with it again. I cry holy and forgive me for I am a wretched Sinner. I can remember just sitting in the presence of the Lord in a service one time, even after our son had gone to, to heaven and even after we had been refined and I experienced God in a way that I'd never experienced him before. I understood what Job said after his suffering. He said, now that I've suffered, I have become so close to you. I've experienced your glory in such a powerful way this is a man that the Bible referred to as being above reproach in the beginning of the book of Job. That he was a man who was blessed and upright. But at the end of his suffering, he was so ushered into the intimacy and the presence and the glory of God that he said that he despised himself. Because I realize when, I, when I'm allowed to, to experience the glory and the holiness of God, it reminds me of what a sinner I really am. And I despise myself. And I repent in ashes and dust. I don't just roll about my way and go to worry about where I'm going to lunch. And maybe, maybe, during this time of suffering and inconvenience and your world turned upside down and you're uneasy and you're unsure. Maybe this is the time that you'll become so close and intimate with God that all those things that we continue to justify 
we will finally repent of and experience the true glory and splendor of a risen Savior. Not a baby in a manger. Not a lowly servant hanging on a cross. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. The manger is empty. Jesus has been returned to his glory. And I promise you, if you die or he comes back, whichever that one of those two is going to happen to you. And whichever one it is, you will not see a baby in a manger. You will not see a lowly servant on the cross. You will not see someone who doesn't have a place to sleep and is walking around in rags. You'll see the King of Kings. You'll see the Lord of Lords. You'll see the glory and the splendor of Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. And he is the righteous judge. He alone has paid the price for your sin and mine. But if you rejected that, he will not be your savior. He'll be your judge. Your righteous judge who's holy and cannot look upon sin. That's the reason why Jesus said in John 16, 33, before he prayed for you and me, he said, I hope that you'll understand how to have peace in me because you'd never find peace in this world. Peace in me. So when the world in its broken state where pandemics come, when it's crying out, it's broken, it's broken, it's broken, and it puts you in tribulation, you'll still be at perfect peace. Because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time, and, and thank you for this message. Thank you for the conviction. Thank you for the promises. Thank you for the grace. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. I repent of every sin. I repent of my pride and my arrogance. I repent of self-sufficiency. I repent, Lord, of every sin that's ever been between us. Thank you, Lord, for taking somebody as wretched as me and forgiving me. And, and Lord, I, I, I want to be changed by you, but I know only you can change me. So I stay connected to the true vine and I abide in you. And as I abide in you, then you illuminate yourself through me, changing me and hopefully those who come into your presence. Help us, Lord, to learn everything you're teaching right now. And thank you for overcoming the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If I can be of any assistance to you, Rick at rickandbubba.com. You know, if you need to give your life to Jesus or you need some help with what we talked about, you reach out to me. If there's any way I can help you, that I will, okay? And uh, if you're looking for, um, you know, some of the things we've studied, maybe you're new to the Bible study, BurgessMinistries.com. Uh, you can find it there as well by clicking on Listen. And we do this every Wednesday, you know, unless I'm on vacation or there was some unforeseen reason that we can't. And I thank you for being with us today, and may that God go with you. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies, or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.